Welcome back to The Serial Killer. I'm your host, Jeremy Skaggs. Today we talk about America's first serial killer, H.H. Holmes. Born Herman Webster Mudgett, May 16, 1861, in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. He died May 7, 1896, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's also known as other names of H.H. Holmes, Alexander Bond, America's first serial killer, the Beast of Chicago, the Devil in the White City, the Torture Doctor, the Arch Fiend Judson. He had 27 victims, but up to 235 estimated. Span of crimes was Christmas of 1891 to October 25th, 1894. He was apprehended in 1894. Besides being a serial killer, Holmes was also a con artist and a trigamist, which is practice of marrying multiple spouses, polygamy. Uh, subject to more than 50 lawsuits in Chicago alone, Holmes was executed on May 7th, 1896, nine days before his 35th birthday. Early life. Holmes was born Herman Webster Mudgett in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, United States, on May 16, 1861, to Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodat Page Price, both of whom were descended from the first English immigrants in the area. Mudgett was his parents' third-born child. He had an older sister, Ellen, an older brother, Arthur, a younger brother, Henry, and a younger sister, Mary. Holmes' father was from a farming family, and at times he worked as a farmer, trader, and house painter. His parents were devout Methodists. Later attempts to fit Holmes into patterns seen in modern serial killers have described him torturing animals and suffering from abuse at the hands of violent father, but contemporary and eyewitness accounts of his childhood do not provide proof of either. At age 16, Holmes graduated from Phillips Exeter Academy and took teaching jobs in Gilmanton and later nearby Alton. On July 4, 1878, he married Clara Lovering in Alton. Their son, Robert Lovering Mudgett, was born February 3, 1880 in Loudoun, New Hampshire. Robert became a certified public accountant and service city's manager of Orlando, Florida. Holmes enrolled in University of Vermont in Burlington at age 18 and was dissatisfied with the school and left after one year. In 1882, he entered the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery. He graduated in June of 1884 after passing his exams. While enrolled, he worked in the anatomy lab under Professor Herdman, then the chief anatomy instructor. Holmes had apprenticed in New Hampshire under Nahum White, a noted advocate of human dissection. Years later, when Holmes was suspected of murder and claimed to be nothing but an insurance fraudster, he admitted to using cadavers to defraud life insurance companies several times in college. Housemates described Holmes as treating Clara violently, and in 1884, before his graduation, she moved back to New Hampshire and later wrote she knew little of him afterwards. After he moved to Moore's Fork, New York, a rumor spread that Holmes had been seen with a little boy who later disappeared. Holmes claimed the boy had went back to his home in Massachusetts. No investigation took place and Holmes quickly left town. He later traveled to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and got a job as a keeper at the Norristown State Hospital, but quit after a few days. 
He later took a position at a drugstore in Philadelphia, but while he was working there, a boy died after taking medication that was purchased at the store. Holmes denied any involvement in the child's death and immediately left the city right before moving to Chicago. He changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes and avoided possibility of being exposed by victims of his previous scams. In his confession after his arrest, Holmes claimed he had killed his former medical school classmate, Robert L uh, Le Leacock in 1886 for insurance money. Leacock, however, died in Watford, Ontario in Canada on October 5th, 1889 and late 1886 while still married to Clara. Holmes married Myrta Belknap uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He filed for divorce from Clara a few weeks after marrying Marta uh, alleging infidelity on her part. The claims could not be proven and the suit went nowhere. Surviving paperwork indicated she probably was never even informed of the suit. In any case, the divorce was never finalized. It was dismissed June 4th, 1891 on the grounds of want of Per, uh, prosecution. Holmes had a daughter with Myrta, Lucy Theodate Holmes, who was born July 4th, 1889 in Englewood, Chicago, Illinois. Lucy became a public school teacher. Holmes lived with Myrta and Lucy in Wilmot, Illinois, and spent most of his time in Chicago tending to business. Holmes married Georgia Georgiana Yoke, January 17th, 1894, in Denver, Colorado, while still married to both Clara and Murda. Holmes arrived in Chicago August 1886, which, when he began using the name H.H. H. Holmes, he came across Elizabeth S. Holton's drugstore at the northwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd in Englewood. Holton gave Holmes a job, and he proved to be a hardworking employee, eventually buying the store, although several books portray Holton's husband as an old man who quickly vanished along with his wife. Dr. Holton was a fellow Michigan alumnus, only a few years older than Holmes, and both Holton's remains remained in Englewood throughout Holmes' life and survived well into the 20th century. It is a myth that they were killed by Holmes. Likewise, Holmes did not kill alleged castle victim Miss Kate Durkee, who turned out to be very much alive. Holmes purchased an empty lot across from the drugstore where construction began in 1887 for a two-story mixed-use building with apartments on the second floor and retail space, including a new drugstore. A creditor of Holmes named John D. Bruley, Bruel died of apoplexy a, on April 17, 1891, in the drugstore, it is unknown if Holmes was involved with his demise. When Holmes declined to pay the architects for the steel of the steel company, uh, Etna Iron and Steel, they sued in 1888 and in 19, 1892. He added a third floor, telling investors the suppliers he intended to use as a hotel during the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition. Though the hotel portion was never completed, in 1892 the hotel was somewhat completed with three stories and a basement. The first floor was the storefront. The second story consisted of elaborate torture rooms, which contained a chute that led to the basement. Third floor was held more apartment rooms, 
There were soundproofed rooms and mazes of hallways, some of which seemed to go nowhere. Many of the rooms were outfitted with chutes that would drop straight down to the basement where Holmes had acid vats, quicklime, and crematorium to dispose of victims' bodies. Furniture suppliers found Holmes was hiding their materials for which he had never paid. In hidden rooms, the passages throughout the building, their search made the news, and investors for the planned hotel pulled out of the deal when a jeweler in the building showed them the articles. In 1894, some police officers inspected the hotel while Holmes was out. During the inspection, they found rooms with hinged walls and false partitions, rooms linked with secret passageways and even airtight rooms that were connected to pipelines filled with gas, which Holmes used as gas chambers. Holmes would use chutes to deliver the bodies to the basement. Once there, he made use of surgical tables and an array of medical tools to dissect them before selling their organs and bones on the black market to the medical institutions. The hotel was gutted by a fire started by unknown arsonists shortly after Holmes was arrested, but was largely rebuilt and used as a post office until 1938. Besides his infamous murder, murder castle, Holmes also had one story factory, which he claimed was to be used for glass bending. It is known, it is unknown if the factory furnace was ever actually used for glass bending or to cremate incriminating evidence of Holmes cases. One of Holmes' early murder victims was his mistress, Julia Smythe. She was the wife of Ned Connor, who had moved into Holmes' building and began working at the pharmacy's jewelry counter. After Connor found out about Smythe's affair with Holmes, he quit his job and moved away, leaving Smythe and her daughter Pearl behind. Smythe gained custody of Pearl and remained at the hotel, continuing her relationship with Holmes. Julia and Pearl disappeared on Christmas Eve of 1891, and Holmes later claimed that she had died during an abortion, though what truly happened the two was never confirmed. Another likely Holmes paramour, Emmeline Sagrande, began working in a building in May 1892 and disappeared that December. Another woman who vanished, Edna Van Tassel, is also believed to have been among Holmes' victims. Holmes' usually murder method, usual murder method was by suffocation of his victims, including overdose of chloroform. Overexposure to lighting gas fumes trapped in an airless vault. To give some examples, Holmes also claimed to have used starvation and burning victims alive in his castle. While working in the chemical bank building on Dearborn Street, Holmes met and became close friends with Benjamin Futzel, a carpenter with a criminal past who was exhibiting in the same building a coal bin he had invented. Holmes used Feitzel as his right-hand man for several criminal schemes. A district attorney later described Feitzel as Holmes' tool, his creature. In early 1893, one-time actress named Minnie Williams moved to Chicago. Holmes claimed to have met her in an unemployment office, or an unemployment office, Though there were rumors that he had met her in Boston years earlier, he offered her a job at the hotel as his personal stenographer, and she accepted. Holmes persuaded Williams to transfer the deed of her property in Fort Worth, Texas, to a man named Alexander Bond, an alias of Holmes. In April 1893, Williams transferred the deed with Holmes serving as the notary. Uh, the next month, Holmes and Williams presenting themselves as husband and wife rented an apartment in Chicago's Lincoln Park. Minnie's sister Annie came to visit, and in July she wrote to her aunt that she planned to accompany Brother Harry to Europe. Neither Minnie nor Annie were seen alive after July 5th, 1893.
capture and arrest. With insurance companies pressing to prosecute him for arson, Holmes left Chicago in July of 1894. He reappeared in Fort Worth, where he had inherited property from the Williams sisters at the intersection of modern-day Commerce Street and 2nd Street. Here, he once again attempted to build an incomplete structure without paying his suppliers and contractors. This building, unlike the former of his properties, was not a site of any additional killings. July 1894, Holmes was arrested and briefly jailed for the first time on the charge of selling mortgaged goods in St. Louis, Missouri. He was promptly bailed out, but while in jail, he struck up a conversation with a convicted outlaw named Marion Hedgepath, who was serving a 25-year sentence. Holmes had concocted a plan to swindle an insurance company out of $10,000 by taking out a policy on himself and then faking his death. Holmes promised Hedgepeth a $500 commission in exchange for the name of a lawyer who could be trusted. Holmes was directed to a young St. Louis attorney named Jephtha Howe. Howe was in practice with his older brother, Alfonso Howe, who had no involvement with Holmes or Fitzel or their fraudulent activities. Jephtha Howe, however, found Holmes' scheme brilliant. Nevertheless, Holmes' plan to fake his own death failed when the insurance company became suspicious and refused to pay. Holmes did not press the claim. Instead, he concocted a similar plan with Fetzel. Fetzel agreed to fake his own death so that his wife could collect a $10,000 life insurance policy, which she was to split with Holmes and Jephtha Howe. The scheme was to take place in Philadelphia, called for Fetzel to set himself up as an inventor under the name B.F. Perry, and then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. Holmes was to find an appropriate cadaver to play the role of Fetzel. Instead, Holmes killed Fetzel by knocking him unconscious with chloroform and setting his body on fire with the use of benzene. In his confession, Holmes implied Fetzel was still alive after he used the chloroform on him before he set him on fire. However, forensic evidence presented at Holmes' later trial showed chloroform had been administered after Fetzel's death, a fact of which the insurance company was unaware, presumably to fake suicide to exonerate Holmes should he be charged with murder. Holmes collected the insurance payout on the basis of genuine Fetzel corpse. Holmes then went on to manipulate Fetzel's unsuspecting wife into allowing three of her five children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard, to be placed in his custody. The eldest daughter and the baby remained with Miss Fetzel. Holmes and the three Fetzel children traveled throughout the northern United States and into Canada. Simultaneously, he escorted Miss Fetzel along a parallel route, all the while using various aliases and lying to Miss Fetzel concerning her husband's death, claiming Fetzel was hiding in London, as well as lying to her about the true whereabouts of three missing children in Detroit. Just before entering Canada, they were only separated by a few blocks. Even in, in an even more audacious move, Holmes was staying at another location with his wife, who was unaware of the whole affair. Holmes would later confess to murdering Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He drilled a hole in the lid of the trunk to put one end of a hose through the hole, attaching the other end to a gas line to asphyxiate the girls. Holmes buried their nude bodies in the cellar of his rental house at 16 St. Vincent Street in Toronto. 
This home and address no longer exists, St. Vincent Street having long since been realigned into part of Bay Street. Frank Geyer, a Philadelphia police detective assigned to investigate homes and find the three missing children, found the decomposed body of the two Fetzel girls in the cellar of a Toronto home. Detective Geyer wrote, The deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the forearm of a human being. Gayer then went to Indianapolis where Holmes had rented a cottage. Holmes was reported to have visited a local pharmacy to purchase the drugs which he used to kill young Howard Fetzel. In a repair shop to sharpen knives, he used to chop up the body before he burned it. The boy's teeth and bits of bone were discovered in the Holmes chimney. Holmes' murder spree finally ended when he was arrested in Boston on November 17, 1894, after being tracked there from Philadelphia by the Pinkertons. He was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas because the authorities had become more suspicious at this point, and Holmes appeared poised to flee the country in the company of his unsuspecting third wife. In July 1895, following the discovery of Alice and Nellie's body, Chicago police and reporters began investigating Holmes building in Englewood, now locally referred to as the castle. Though many of the sensational claims were made, no evidence was found which have convicted Holmes in Chicago. According to Seltzer, stories of torture equipment found in the building are 20th century fiction. In 1895, Holmes was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Fetzel and was found guilty and sentenced to death. By then, it was evident Holmes had also murdered three missing Fetzel children. Following his conviction, Holmes confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto, though some people he confessed to murdering were still alive, and six attempted murders. Holmes was paid $7,500 by Hearst newspapers in exchange for his confession, which was quickly found to be mostly nonsense. Holmes gave various contradictory accounts of his life, initially claiming innocence and later that he was possessed by Satan. His propensity for lying has made it difficult for researchers to ascertain the truth of, on the basis of his statements. While writing his confession in prison, Holmes mentioned how drastically his facial appearance had changed since his imprisonment. He described his new grim appearance as gruesome and taking a satanical cast and wrote he was now convicted that after everything he had done, he was beginning to resemble the devil. On May 7th, 1896, Holmes was hanged at Moyo, Moya Messing Prison, also known as the Philadelphia County Prison, for the murder of Fetzel. Until the moment of his death, Holmes remained calm and amiable, showing very few signs of fear, anxiety, or depression. Despite this, he asked for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep because he was concerned grave robbers would steal his body and use it for dissection. Holmes' neck did not break. He instead strangled to death, slowly twitching for over 15 minutes before being pronounced dead 20 minutes after the trap had been sprung. Upon his execution, Holmes' body was interred in an unmarked grave at Holy Cross Cemetery, a Catholic cemetery in the Philadelphia western suburb of Yeadon, Pennsylvania. On New Year's Eve 1909, Hedgepeth, who had been pardoned for the informing uh, for informing on Holmes, was shot and killed by police officer Edward Jabrick during a holdup at a Chicago saloon. 
On March 7, 1914, the Chicago Tribune reported that the death of Patrick Quinlan, the former caretaker of the castle, the mysteries of Holmes Castle, would remain unexplained. Quinlan had committed suicide by taking strychnine. His body was found in his bedroom with a note that read, I couldn't sleep. Quinlan's surviving relatives claimed that he had been haunted for several months and was suffering from hallucinations. The castle itself was mysteriously gutted by fire in August 1895, according to the newspaper clipping from the New York Times. Two men were seen entering the back of the building between 8 and 9 p.m. About half an hour later, they were seen exiting the building, rapidly running away. Following several explosions, the castle went up in flames. Afterwards, investigators found a half-empty gas can underneath the back steps of the building. The building survived the fire and remained in use until it was torn down in 1938. The site is occupied by the Englewood branch of the United States Postal Service. In 2017, amid allegations Holmes had in fact escaped execution, Holmes' body was exhumed for testing by led by Janet Mong of the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. Due to his coffin being contained in cement, his body was found not to have decomposed normally. His clothes were almost perfectly preserved, and his mustache was found to be intact. The body was positively identified by his teeth as being that of Holmes. Holmes was then reburied. The case was notorious in its time and received wide publicity in the international press. Interest Holmes crimes were revived in 2003 by Eric Larson's The Devil in the White City, Murder, Magic, and Madness at the Fair that Changed America. In a 1974 novel, American Gothic by horror writer Robert Block was a fictionalized version of the story of H.H. Holmes. In 2017, History aired an eight-episode limited docuseries entitled American Ripper, in which Holmes' great-great-grandson Jeff Mudgett, along with former CIA analyst Amaryllis Fox, investigated clues to attempt to prove that Holmes was also the infamous London serial killer Jack the Ripper. In 2018, horror writer Sarah Tantlinger, published The Devil's Dreamland, poetry inspired by H.H. H. Holmes' Strange House Books, which won the 2018 Bram Stoker Award for Best Poetry Collection. As of 2019, an adaption of The Devil in the White City with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio attached as executive producers in development for Paramount TV and Hulu. Though it was initially reported in 2015 to be a feature film starring DiCaprio, once Hulu agreed to partnership with Paramount, the project was announced as a series with no confirmation of whether Scorsese or DiCaprio would actually direct and star in it. Respectfully, as of 2021, production has yet to commence. Okay, guys, I had to do this in two different parts because it's so long, but it's all in the same episode. So this was H.H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm your host, Jeremy Skaggs. We'll see you again pretty soon. Goodbye.